there, and welcome to The Epic Pencil, a bi-weekly venue for original writing, writers, and more. I'm your host, Chris Watson, and I'm glad you could join me for this slightly ahead of schedule pre-Halloween episode. Halloween has always been one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite. The costumes, the fun with friends, the candy, carving the pumpkins, the haunted houses, they all add up to a great day or two. Sure, there isn't the weeks-long run-up like at Christmas time, but the edge of fear, the scary bits of fun, they all add an appealing edge that the snow-covered jollity of Christmas can't quite match. My vision of Halloween was formed by Ray Bradbury's book, The Halloween Tree, published in 1972. My aunt gave me my first copy only a few years later, and I was hooked on the story of Tom Skelton, Wally Babb, and the other kids seeking their lost friend, Joe Pipkin, with the aid of Carapace Clavicle Moundshroud. I've always had a copy of the book since then, and read it regularly at Halloween. When I spent the fall of my junior year in college, sailing in the Atlantic, I read excerpts of it to my watchmates at four in the morning on Halloween during a lull. I named my second all-black cat Pipkin in honor of the story, and last year I read it to my daughter for the first time and luxuriated in the words. Here's a little excerpt. For there was the tree, and it was such a tree as they had never seen in all their lives. It stood in the middle of a vast yard behind the terribly strange house. And this tree rose up some one hundred feet in the air, taller than the high roofs and full and round and well-branched, and covered all over with rich assortments of red and brown and yellow leaves. But, whispered Tom, oh, look, what's up in that tree? For the tree was hung with a variety of pumpkins of every shape and size and a number of tints and hues of smoky yellow or bright orange. A pumpkin tree, someone said. No, said Tom. The wind blew among the high branches and tossed their bright burdens softly. A Halloween tree, said Tom. And he was right. If you haven't read this book, I encourage you to. It's a quick read, but one that opened my eyes to the brilliance of Bradbury's use of language and what Halloween really could be. Now, one thing the Halloween tree is not is particularly scary. Personally, I've never been a fan of scary movies, but a great scary story is a wonder, and that's where I turn to Edgar Allan Poe. Think about his tales and poems, the raven, the telltale heart, the cask of Amontillado, the black cat, the mask of the red death, and more. The best of him take his words and your imagination, that clammy, crawly sense on your skin, and freak you out more than any movie with jump scares and slashers. I say skip the candy on Halloween and read some Poe if you really want to rush. So, in this episode, in the spirit of Halloween, I'm going to share two short pieces written perhaps to get your pulse racing, maybe surprise you, or just creep you out a bit. The first piece was written two years ago and was inspired by the prompt, Ten Lessons About. While other members of the manuscript group that I was in spent their 30 minutes writing about things that they learned from their parents, in school, while traveling, or as they grew up, 
I ended up going somewhere quite unexpected and wrote something unlike anything I'd written before. So here's 10 lessons about escaping the monsters. Lesson one, run, run as fast as you can. Must get away from this place as far away as possible, as fast as possible. Don't stop, just keep moving. Head down the long hallway, ignoring the shadows created when every third light bulb is out. The dimness is nothing. The shadows can't hurt me. It's what's coming behind that can. Lesson two. Dead end says dead for a reason. But this can't be. There wasn't a dead end down this hall before. Not those times when I was dragged this way. I'm sure of it. I turn. I look. The walls tighten, constrict, close around me. Where do I go? I have no time. I can only see where I came from, not where I need to go. Lesson three. Touch, feel, and listen. Heart pounds. Breath comes in ragged gasps. There's no time. Sight collapses, becomes a pinprick. Eyes close, a prayer that the darkness won't come before an egress is revealed. Raise my hands, fingertips brushing the uneven, pebbled surface of the wall. Keep moving, take a step, ignore the chips of stone that bite into the soles of my bare feet. What? What's that? The sound. Different, to my left, deeper, farther away. Step forward, bottom lip between my teeth, the exquisite pain keeping me focused in the face of panic. Fingertips suddenly in free air. A space. A gap. Lesson four. Don't ask. Act. Turn to the left, eyes wide at the revelation of another hall. A branch that couldn't have been there before. Was it? How did I miss it? How? Doesn't matter, fool. Move. Run. Run as fast as you can. See lesson one. Lesson five. Never, ever look back. Stumble forward, fear warring with hope, limbs seizing and releasing, my legs the victims of warring puppeteers. It doesn't matter. Still moving forward, aching, but knowing that to stop is to end. But to go back is to be over. To look back is to, oh my God, why did I look back? Lesson six. Once seen, you can never forget. I want to claw my eyes out, strip that image from my mind. Why did I ignore lesson five? Forcing myself to go faster, eyes open, but only part of me sees the way ahead. The rest is seeing what lies behind. Lesson seven. Hold your breath. I can hear the dark. It charges along behind me. The way ahead grows dim as I pass the last of the light bulbs. Forward, just keep moving forward. Left foot down, then the right, then the left, then the right, and then nothing. Pitching forward, where's the floor? Falling into the dimness, and then the impact, plunging beneath the surface, bitter cold water driving blades of cold into me. Struggling up, breaking the surface. A violent cough to clear the lungs, and then a ferocious, deep breath as I'm swept along. Lesson 8. You're never the only one who floats. In the dark, it's impossible to tell how fast the water flows, how quickly I'm swept along. 
arms out, buffering against the buffeting. It must be fast, faster than sore bare feet can run. It must be taking me farther away and faster, isn't it? There, a splash. Is that the sense of new movement in the water behind me? Something moving and pushing the water ahead of it? Pushing it toward me? Moving toward me? Lesson 9. When in doubt, climb. God, there must be a way out. Some gap in this black, wet artery I'm plunging through. Arms outstretched, grasping, feeling, slick walls, slime, frictionless. Then the impact. Fingers grasping, slipping, grasping again, seizing the rod, feeling it stretching up and below. A ladder. Leaden arms contracting, pulling me to it. Then slowly up. Are my numb feet on a rung? They must be. They've stopped moving down and my weight presses on them, unfeeling but on something solid. Now up, up, damn you. Climb faster. Ignore the greater darkness, the deep, steaming breaths that envelop the river below you. Climb! Lesson 10. Enjoy the moment. God, my shoulders hurt, aching as my arms rise from one rung to the next. The limbs of an automaton. Keep pulling upward. Ignore the burning thighs and calves in favor of upward motion. There. Is that a flicker of light? A brief glimmer? Climb. Climb. Yes. Brighter. Pushing forward. Remember lesson number five and its subset. Don't look down. Not because of the height, but because of what's there. I know it's there. I can't look, but I can feel it climbing below me. Hand strikes something solid above. Thin shafts of light through tiny gaps playing over bruised knuckles. Push, push. Crying in relief as it moves. More light flooding down. Pushing harder. Climbing behind it. Out into the open. The warmth. The sun. Up. Up. Then out. Slamming the lid behind me. Rolling onto it. Letting my weight, the exhaustion, hold it down. Protecting myself. Knowing I'm free. Breathing deeply. And then feeling the tendrils of darkness sliding up around my throat. Great writing? No, not really. Fun experiment? Absolutely. It was a blast to write and a nice trip down a dark little avenue. Now, over the past summer, I was faced with a different assignment in a different writing group. Choose at least 10 words from a list of 50 or 60 provided, and use them in a piece that answered the question, what are the books in the library of your life? The result? A minor homage to the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe. The doorway was shrouded in shadow. I had to lean over and peer closely at the faint inscription on the small brass plaque. Biblioteca de tu vida, it read. Alex, what are you doing? I looked up. Mitch, Leslie, Becca, and Carter were staring at me. Well, the first two were staring at me. Becca and Carter were leaning against the wall of the alley, enjoying a rather enthusiastic public snog. It's this place, 
Biblioteca de Tu Vida. I heard about it on some website or read it about urban legends. Let's go in. Let's check it out. You're joking, Leslie exclaimed. With everything else you can see in Barcelona, you want to go look at books? Come on, we're on holiday and this city is gorgeous. I glanced back at the door. There was something compelling about the place. With its ancient, dark wood, the tiny brass plaque, and its isolation here amidst the labyrinth of cobblestoned alleyways. Seriously, guys, I've heard about this place. I'm going to go check it out. Ah, oh, come on, dude, we're exploring. You don't have to prove you're literate, protested Mitch. You guys go ahead. I'll catch up with you later, okay? With much laughing and teasing, the other four waved and wandered off, back toward the faint honks and whistles of Calle de la Ribera. After a few moments, I was alone in the hallway, but for a gray and black tomcat that prowled nearby. He looked at me, turned his back, not even deigning to hiss. I shrugged my backpack a bit more comfortably on my shoulders and reached out to turn the brass doorknob and enter. A wizened old man with a shock of silver hair, spectacles, and brilliant green eyes looked up at me as I entered. Buenos dias, he said quietly. Buenos dias, I replied. Hablo usted inglés? He nodded slowly. Gracias. Uh, thank you. My Spanish isn't so good. May I help you? His words were slow and deliberate, but not halting in the way I'm sure I sounded when muddling through Spanish. Yes, I, I've heard about this place, this library. I was hoping I might have a chance to look about. The old man stared at me for a time. I began to fidget slightly. Then he blinked slowly, once, twice and stood up. He was far taller than I would have guessed, unfolding from his seat behind the counter like some multi-jointed mantis. Of course, he replied. I am always happy to allow someone new to experience our collection. I nodded. Please follow me. I am Senor Ecuador. And he vanished through a pair of tall, intricately carved doors Books behind glass, ancient tomes of cracked leather, lined the narrow hallway. Senor Recaudador entered a new room and stepped aside, gesturing for me to enter. This is but part of our collection of tales and histories, stories of people's lives, young and old, ancient and recent, some mundane, some juvenile, some grotesque and some godly but all true as related by the teller. It was remarkable. The room, dark in appearance, felt as though it was vibrating with life and energy. I turned in place, knowing I likely looked a fool with my mouth agape. May I read some of them? He nodded and led me to a desk where a pair of light white gloves lay. You may immerse yourself in any of these books. There are others over there that I would recommend you avoid, as they are, as yet, an unknown quantity. He withdrew toward the narrow hall. Please enjoy. I shall check in on you later. It is easy to become uh, lost in the books. Dropping my backpack with a thump by the chair, 
I put on the gloves and perused the shells. I grabbed one at random, surprised that it was apparently in English. I grabbed another, also in English. I began to read one after another. If I read them in sequence, some were clearly written by the same person, with the same voice, as though their entire life was captured in volume after volume. But there were so many stories. I always loved the view from our family chalet in the mountains, and the small house was a haven after Madeline passed away. My father left us when I was eight, and it was the best thing that could have happened to us. Charlotte's kiss left me gasping. For it was in the court of King Louis the Fourteenth in the year of our Lord 1695 that I first came face to face with a blackamoor. It was an accident. Truly it was. I didn't mean for her to die. The books, the stories within were entrancing. I lost track of time, and when I finally looked up, the faint light through the high windows was fading, and yellow lamps had apparently been lit by Senor Roquadador without my realizing. I glanced to the right and saw the books of unknown quantity. I know the old man had suggested I skip those, but my heart raced at the thought of reading those, too. I grabbed the stack and noticed that the spines of all of them were blank. Well, that was odd. I put them on the table to my right. I opened the one on top, the scent of the paper and leather bringing back memories of the old printing press I'd seen at Mystic Seaport when I was younger. I laughed. Where did that memory come from? And then I glanced down at the page and read, I'd always been fascinated by the sea, by tales of whalers and spars and canvas. That trip to Mystic when I was nine was a dream come true. I read on, and the book... It was extraordinary. It was filled with the images and thoughts, scents and feelings that were so much a part of me that I just hadn't remembered for so long. Eventually, I came to the end of that book and moved on to the next. It, too, appeared blank as I opened it. But then I realized that, no, it was written as the words appeared on each page as I turned them. Her name was Pat, and I was so nervous that first time. Sure, it was stupid, but when given the opportunity to walk across the frozen Mississippi, you couldn't pass that up. I don't know how long I'd been sitting in the nursing home chair when I realized that my grandmother was no longer breathing. My heart pounded its way out of my chest, the adrenaline rush of just missing that tree as I came down the slope on the verge of losing my skis. It was exhilarating. The book was eventually taken from my hand, and another placed before me. Enjoy another book, my young friend, purred Senor Requaldador. There is so much to remember, so much we never want to lose. Remember? I thought. What was I supposed to remember? I could feel gaps, but what went there? There was a growing stack of books to my left and a dwindling stack to my right. So many more stories to tell. Poured my heart into it and kept turning the pages on and on. Later that evening, Senor Roquadador entered the dim reading room. 
He picked up the stack of new books from the table and gently, lovingly placed them on a shelf. His emerald eyes glittered as he patted the last one, the spine of which now read, A Summer in Spain, picked out in gold, before he turned and gathered up the abandoned backpack. It wouldn't do to have the next author to find the belongings of the last one lying about. No, it wouldn't do at all. And so we come to the end of this Halloween-themed episode. Thanks for coming along on this week's creepy journey. I hope you enjoyed. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback. Visit my website, pretendingtowrite.com, and reach out to me there. Check out the blog posts, past episodes of The Epic Pencil, and other writing. Now, until we read again, I hope you curl up with a great book or two, and remember to support your local independent bookseller. The Epic Pencil was copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.